Welcome to the Communication Design Podcast. I'm Ben Lauren, your host, an assistant professor at Michigan State University in the Department of Writing, Rhetoric, and American Cultures. I'm also a wide researcher and your book editor at Communication Design Quarterly. Today, we are joined by Lisa Welchman, author of Managing Chaos, Digital Governance by Design, out on Rosenfeld Books. So Lisa, how does managing chaos engage with communication design? When you're thinking about communication and digital, in the digital space, omni-channel, multi-channel, whatever you want to call that, and governance around that, there's really a couple of things. And most people tend to focus on making sure an organization gives forth or puts out the information or whatever communication-focused information that they're trying to convey to their customers, their patients, their students, their voters, the general community, consumers, whatever it is, whoever it is they're trying to pitch, get to donate, whatever the mission is of the organization. And that's important. And UX focuses around that and information architecture, um, front-end design, all of those sorts of things. But, and this is a very broad connection, but it is what came into my mind because I'm focused on the team of people who are actually trying to create this comprehensive and effective information. And oftentimes the communications paradigms within that team are horrible. So it's a really bad case of the cobbler's kids. And so managing chaos focuses on digital governance, which does have just some tactical aspects of, you know, figuring out what accountabilities are for strategy, policies, and standards, like who gets to make those decisions. And so that's a really good thing. But the reason why those decision-making mechanisms are important is because that they foster collaboration amongst the internal team members. And so that's really what governance is about, is this collaboration within the team that creates these artifacts that you're using to try to communicate with your public, whoever that may be. But oftentimes it's messed up because that team doesn't communicate effectively. And so that to me is a really obvious indicator. And oftentimes, you know, I say it's the cobbler's kids because they don't fix that mechanism and then they can't figure out why they can't create congruent information to flow through all of these channels. And the reality is you got to get together. It's like a sports team trying to play a sport without knowing what the rules are or who's the coach or who's playing what position. And then even if they do know those things, they're not communicating. They're not calling plays. And so that, I think, is a really com- important aspect of it. No, that makes total sense to me. So what you're saying is a team's internal ability to communicate with each other and collaborate with each other influences dramatically how digital governance gets done. Am I right? If a team is collaborating effectively and creating valuable information, artifacts, design artifacts, whatever, if they're producing well and working together in concert, I would probably leave them alone, even if they didn't have a formal digital governance framework as Lisa would define it, right? Unless they were operating at some sort of risk, like they were breaking policies and, you know, or breaking the law or doing things like that. We might be concerned about that. But if all of those things were safe and they were producing, I would leave them alone absent a formal framework. The framework's only there to help them collaborate more effectively. And part of that collaboration is the communication. And so it's poor. This is an example When we start a digital governance project, I would say, and I'm not exaggerating, probably eight times out of 10, when we go on site and we have this kickoff meeting where we bring together all the key stakeholders that create digital end-to-end design people, editorial people, publishing people, development people, content strategists, 
IT, whoever it is, we bring them in the room to kick off the meeting. Somebody says something like, you know, this is the first time we've ever sat down and talked about how we work together. Like, how could that be? Right. They've been running websites for 20 years, social channels for what, seven, eight, nine years or something like that. Maybe I'm exaggerating on that one. Mobile ops for three years. And they don't have never sat around and talked about how they collaborate together and how they should best communicate. And so I think what the book does is help to sort of not just define digital governance, but to help the team understand why it's important to collaborate together so that you can actually make something. You're making this huge online presence, this huge representation of the organization. It represents the full organization. And there's no way that that's going to happen without not only clear roles and responsibilities, but, you know, an internal community of practice and other sorts of uh, communications mechanisms. Wow. The researcher in me has about a billion questions for you right now. Well, let me ask this one first. What contribution does managing chaos offer to the field of communication design? I think it's a spare thing, that, but important thing that it offers to the field, and that is a structured way of thinking about the problem of governing and operating an online presence. And, and that's it, right? That's kind of full stop on that. And sort of the rationale and background to that answer is that when I work with teams, sometimes they have governance problems, which usually manifest as, for lack of a better word, fights, people arguing about who's allowed to do what, who's allowed to do this, that, or the other, who gets to decide the design of the homepage is a favorite, who gets to pick the CMS is another one, right? Who gets to decide what the content looks like or sounds like or voice and tone down different business lines and that sort of thing. And so they focus on those particular problems as if they're just sort of discrete, unique things or an individual person's issue inside the organization. And so they're unable to solve the problem because it's emotional. It's a human factor, right? They're angry. You're on my turf, those sorts of things. And so what managing chaos does is give you a lens to sort of look at the problem in a very, very dispassionate way. And from a research perspective, I think it can help to normalize the problem from organization to organization to organization. So is it a problem because you don't know who defines the strategy? How many organizations have that sort of problem versus, you know, our CEO is completely disengaged because she's a jerk or they don't get digital. Like those are the sort of like weird answers that we get. And so what I'm hoping this will allow is sort of an objectification of the problem so that you can compare one organization to another, apples to apples, oranges to oranges, because otherwise you can't. I still get people saying, we're completely different than everybody else. And it's like, okay, yeah, when you get down to the tactics and the nuts and the bolts of that person versus this person, or even your weird org structure, or a variety of other things, you are very different. You are very unique. But only in the way that human beings are unique and distinct from one another, but we're genetically very similar, right? So the governing framework is sort of like that genetic framework that we can use to compare one to another so that we can actually find out where there are true differences from an industry perspective. Maybe in the pharma industry, policy tends to work this way because it's heavily regulated. Well, isn't that interesting to compare policy in pharma versus policy in the financial sector, also heavily regulated, but very different. Right. And that makes total sense to me because it's going to be so nuanced as you enter different markets and different uh, disciplines or fields across the world. 
So when you were looking to write this book, when you started writing this book, did you feel as if you were starting a conversation, continuing a conversation? Were there scholars that you looked to or other people in the field that you looked up to where you tried to build upon their work? I'm always wary about sort of claiming turf because I am not a believer in sort of like the sole inventor. Ideas come from a lot of different places. People have been talking about web governance for a long time. In particular, a woman named Candy Harrison in the federal sector, really in the late 90s, early 2000s, started a conversation that's not the same exact conversation. It was more, I think, content-centered, actually, at that time. And the federal government was talking about web governance. And that was probably about the same time I started thinking about it, and we were thinking about it a little differently. There's IT governance and general corporate governance, which also inform digital governance. I think what is perhaps, I don't want to say unique, but noteworthy, that's a good word, noteworthy about what I've done is trying to synthesize all of that and apply it specifically to digital, right? I always say there really isn't really new anything new in what I'm saying. I'm just taking the fact that I am a digital domain expert who actually has had a hands-on role in digital since, you know, at least the very beginnings of the commercial web in 95 for me. I know it came in a little bit early, but I've been at it for a while. I've had that job. I've managed it digital. So I sort of understand that unique set of information. I also am a systems thinker, right? And you know, my education is in symbolic logic and semantics. So I think I bring a lot to the table in being able to analyze that problem and have just taken the time to synthesize that down to a methodology or a way of thinking about it, which I'm constantly tuning. I'm hoping that there'll be more participation in it. There's still some wrangling about, is it web governance or is it digital governance? For me, web governance is governance of the World Wide Web, right? And internet governance is governance of the internet. I settled on digital governance um, to take care of the sort of organizational aspect of it as well. But even that language sometimes has some issues. So what I'm really hoping is that I've started a dialogue and we do see more of the sort of larger consulting firms and analyst firms using the digital governance language um, in the last two years, which is really great, but I don't think it's quite synthesized. And so next steps for me, I think, are to sort of broaden that conversation and hopefully bring more people into that conversation, because I think there are things that I can learn as well. Yeah, that's inspiring. And you know what? I think that your work definitely opens up a lot of space for other people to participate in the conversation. So let's just focus on academics for a minute. What do you think the takeaways are from managing chaos for academics? The takeaways for academics as it relates to managing chaos are this is actually something that is structured and can be taught. My fantasy would be that you would not be able to get an MBA without having some sort of understanding of digital governance. The idea that you could actually become an MBA and not comprehensively understand the operational and governing concerns around the digital space seems crazy in 2016, right? To me, that is something that's integral. And I know people think about digital space and MBA programs, but it's not a given, right? And so my hope would be that somebody would look at that and say, hey, this is something that we really need to run with. We need to think about curriculum around this um, more from a governing and management perspective, less so than 
you know, the e-commerce focus. There's sort of like a end of the pipeline piece that we see a lot. And I know there are schools that are teaching this, but it's not sort of a de facto piece of every single curriculum. So I think that's the piece for academics, which is to either integrate this when you're talking about general corporate governance. There are nuances to digital governance that impact IT governance and overall corporate governance, particularly in the policy arena. So I think there's a lot in there to think about. And as I mentioned, my colleague, Christina Podnar, is is working on a book on digital policy, which is also important, also very important in the legal space, right? So one of the things we talk to a lot of in-house counsel and external counsel when we do our projects, particularly around policy, and it is a unicorn to find an attorney that can speak digital. And it's just the litigation in this space. It's a very, very immature. I think there's a lot of opportunity there, but I also think the same thing. You know, as people are matriculating through law schools, how much do they know about digital policy in particular? When you think about it globally, it's really quite robust and quite nuanced, particularly if an organization is a global multinational, no matter where they're headquartered, operating in different aspects of the world, how what you can and cannot do with data, right, varies greatly from country to country. So what do you do if you're headquartered in the U.S., but you're collecting personally identifiable information in Russia? Well, you have to do that differently than you do it in in Canada or you do it in Germany. And a lot of legal counsel don't know that and a lot of digital folks don't know that. So those are the types of things that I think need to be brought into an awareness from um, an academic perspective. That's really interesting because a lot of that seems to focus a great deal on ethics, which I also think would be very valuable for practitioners in communication design as well. So if we had to turn our attention now to practitioners of communication design, that is people in the field who are working in different kinds of industries and their job involves digital governance, what are the takeaways from managing chaos for this group of people? Sure. So I think there's two things that I would have for practitioners. And I think one of them is that you can solve this problem. Right. So there's sort of a we've given up because, as I mentioned earlier, that group just can't we can't get along with them or so and so's a jerk. I mean, it gets really quite personal in even in large companies. And so I think the best thing about this book is it depersonalizes it from organizational units. It gives you a little bit of an abstraction so that you can stop looking at this as if it's a dysfunctional project and look at it as if this is a system that we haven't defined clearly. Right. And if we define the system clearly and, and intentionally and with some desired outcome, that it can work. So a lot of people have sort of given up and decided, well, this is just how teams work and it's all siloed and nobody's talking to each other. That's a UX problem. That's a UX architectural design problem. And so that's the second thing which I would say, which is particularly if you are a UX person or any type of design resource, you can design your way out of this. That's why it's digital governance by design. Right? So those same skills that you're using to design other things, you can use to actually do organizational design so that you're engineered correctly to get the work done. I think people miss that. Right? They really miss that it's, it's, a, it's a design issue and it's a team design issue. It's change management. It's a lot of things that traditional digital practitioners often don't have the skills for, but oftentimes UXers do. And so um, you know, maybe you can't write your way out of it. Maybe you can't code your way out of it, but you can design your way out of it. You just have to turn that design skill back to the team. I see myself applying a lot of what you're talking about, even in my classroom, 
uh, teaching things like project management or content strategy. Thank you so much for your time. I would like to ask you one last thing. Is there something that you want to tell us about the book? Any sort of final takeaway that you'd like to leave the communication design podcast audience with? The comment that I get from people about the book that I think is good because digital governance makes people kind of gives them the squeamies, right? They don't want to go by that word is that it's actually readable. It's not a hard to read book. There are probably some aspects of it that are, are detailed, but I tried to be very story driven about it and accessible because it's a problem that a lot of organizations have. And, you know, I tried to be sensible about it. I'm a very practical person. And so usually problems get solved in very practical ways at the end of the day. And there are a set of compromises that need to be made. And so I think that the book did a good job of sort of talking about it in real terms and not just sort of sort of pie in the sky theories. And that's where we end our interview with Lisa Welchman, author of Managing Chaos, Digital Governance by Design, out now on Rosenfeld Books. If you haven't picked up a copy, I highly suggest you do as soon as you can. I'm Ben Lauren, your host, and this is the Communication Design Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.